Hello and welcome to the Light from Light podcast with me, Daniel, and you, Brother Thomas Therese, comma OP. <laughs> I thought you really forgot that. <laughs> so it's great to have you here with us for another episode. We're recording this in the midst of Holy Week, the biggest of weeks for us as Catholics in a year. Mm-hmm. So we thought we'd spend today's episode looking in particular at the Easter Tridium with a, a few little bits about the Holy Week as well. So what that means, a few tips for entering into it a bit more deeply or a few bits of information to get more out of it. So we're going to be looking at Holy Week in a sort of a chronological order and we're going through the different days. But as a start then, I thought we'd just situate where we are in terms of the events. So we start off with Palm Sunday and that marks the day in which Jesus enters into Jerusalem on a donkey and the crowd greets him with loud song and they lay palm branches at the feet of the donkey. And these palms are representative of victory and royalty. Why a donkey and not a horse? Doesn't it go back to an Old Testament prophecy? Yes, it does. There is a prophecy. uh, I can't remember actually where it is now. So my head is it Micah or Malachi? Mm, I'm not sure. Let me check. So we have in it's uh, in Zechariah nine nine. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion! Shout aloud, O daughter Jerusalem! Lo, your king comes to you, triumphant and victorious is he, humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. It is to fulfill this prophecy, not from Malachi or, or, I mean, Malachi does come into it later when Jesus goes into the temple, but it is to fulfill this prophecy from uh, Zechariah. And what do we see there? But your king is coming to you. And this brings me again to another reason why a horse and not a, uh, sorry, why a donkey and not a horse. You ride horses into battle and there was a, a mood going around at the time saying that the Messiah would save us from the Romans. And so they're throwing down palm branches thinking, here comes the king who's going to save us from the oppressive authority of the Romans. And Jesus comes riding a donkey, is symbolizing not war, but peace. I'm, I'm not a king as, as you think of kingship. I am a better king. I've come to save you from sin and death. And yes, Jesus Christ will transform the Roman Empire and will conquer the Roman Empire. I mean, I don't think it's any coincidence that the papacy and Catholicism, that the hub of that became Rome and the place where the where the emperors used to reign from, you know, the, those murderous, barbarous dictators used to reign from. Now you have the papacy overlooking those sort of palaces and the people who were once persecuted by tyrants and dictators by the Romans have now been conquered by Christ and his vicar in Rome who governs the church in his name. So there is this dual aspect of kingship that's being emphasized here, but also how he's not a king like other kings and it fulfills the Old Testament prophecy. Yeah, I think one of the things that Paul and even the gospel writers themselves are clear to show that Jesus is the Lord and, and Savior of the world, victorious over death. When the children are shouting Hosanna, some of the authorities and things are saying, do you hear what these people are shouting about you? Do you hear that, you know, that they're shouting that you're a king and all the rest of it? So there were, there were already sort of people who were getting upset by the fact that he was being welcomed in such a way, particularly by the, by, I think in, in one of the, the Gospels, at least it talks about how the children were singing these things. And people, and some of the people were saying, do you hear what they're saying about him? On whose authority? You know, that's a question that we're going to see throughout this Holy Week narrative. On whose authority do you do these things? Who do you think you are? 
And Jesus <laughs> turns around and says, well, you know, you know who I am. And uh, <laughs> anyway. Just to mention, there are lots of schedules or timelines that you can look up that situate the events of the Gospels in a, in a timeline uh, according to day, according to each of the days. But anyway, so Jesus enters into Jerusalem. He goes and looks around the temple. Then the next day he returns to the temple and he cleanses the temple. This is a, a very well known gospel event and he cleanses that temple because people have made it the den of thieves but he says in that event a very particular prophecy they ask him on what authority are you cleansing the temple and driving out these people Mm. and he replies by saying tear down this temple and in three days i will raise it and he's speaking there of his body so a prophecy about what is to happen uh, later on in the week just to say about the the temple and the importance of the temple we can't underestimate the importance of the temple you have this sort of centralization of the temple and the the cult and the authority of the temple and people traveling to jerusalem for the passover and things but what does it represent it represents god dwelling with his people it represents the presence of god and you have the holy of holies where the presence of god uh, dwells where the ark would have been kept and you have the veil in front of this and people before when they're going into the temple to sort of sprinkle sprinkle blood on the throne that's in there the high priest when he goes in who would only be allowed to go in once a year there would be incense lit so that way he can't see the presence of god because nobody can see god and live this is how sort of dramatic it is that jesus is saying jesus is saying god dwells in me I am God. I have the presence of God, not just within me, but I am I am the presence of God. And that's why he says, destroy this temple and I will raise it in three days because he is the locus. He is the place where the most high dwells because he is the most high. So then another event that happens on Monday, which is particularly important, is that a number of Greeks come to ask to see Jesus. So it says they come to Philip and they ask him saying, sir, we wish to see Jesus. And Jesus's response after this is very interesting. He says, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. So now that the nations, not just the the Jewish people, but the nations are coming to Jesus, it's it's a sign that Jesus is gathering the nations. God is fulfilling what he said he would do in the Old Testament. He's gathering together the nations to himself. And now the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified because he's he's achieved one of the things which he came to do so then on tuesday jesus teaches using a lot of parables answering a lot of questions from the scribes and the pharisees and the parables focus or they center on the resurrection but also on jesus's identity yeah that's exactly right it's about its identity his identity it's about his authority he ha- he also gives uh, commandments in these in these things so one of the questions that he's asked in this account is which is the greatest commandment so this is where we get that sort of that golden rule again you know loving god loving neighbor we also have a lot of questions that revolve around money let's not forget that the day before he cleansed out the money changers in Greek, it's called table men. <laughs> he uh, he cleanses the temple by driving out the money changers. And in the in on the Tuesday, so the following day, he a lot of the parables that he's telling are about money. They're about the resurrection. They are predictions of his death and what's going to happen. That they are talking about his authority, his importance, and his identity. And he's also got a lot of questions in there himself about. And what do you think is going to happen to you who don't believe in me? In the parable of the wedding feast, for example, he asked, you know, friend, how did you get into the wedding without a wedding garment? 
this you know a lot of commentators sort of refer to refer to going back to in the early church fathers is to the the wedding garment of baptism and the the spotless wedding garment that we are supposed to have that we're supposed to care for this garment through our life through what we say through our actions through our deeds through our service of the lord and our service of neighbor he also has the parable of the two sons and he's like well you know which do you think did the will of their father the one who said that they were going to do the will of the father but didn't or the one who said he wouldn't do the will of his father but still did which did the will of his father and who do you think the father is going to be pleased with the same thing with the parable of the talents and you also at the end of this period the parable of the sheep and the goats which absolutely wonderful when did we see you lord as hungry naked thirsty imprisoned sick and jesus says whatsoever you did to the least of these my brothers that you did to me or whatsoever you didn't do to the least of these my brothers you didn't do to me he says to the wicked and so the sheep who listened to his voice who followed him who performed those corporal and spiritual works of mercy we can have another episode on that there's a there's a promise for you <laughs> those who listened to the voice of the good shepherd who did what he asked you to do are counted as sheep and those who did not do these things are then separated very often in catholicism people think about our sexual morality teaching as being the cornerstone of our of our ethics and yes it's important but look at these moral things that that jesus is talking about during holy week it's how you serve people it, it's a question of the virtue of religion and giving to god what belongs to god giving to neighbor what belongs to neighbor in justice but beyond that also in charity yeah i find it interesting then as we enter into to wednesday and we think about what happens on Wednesday. So the Sanhedrin plot to kill Jesus. During that time, Judas agrees to betray Jesus. And it, it, I find that interesting because on Monday, Jesus has driven out those money changers, those who focuses on money and that's getting in the way of true worship of the true God. And then on Tuesday, you have people going to Jesus asking him about money as if the most important thing he did on the Monday was getting rid of the money changers. And then on Wednesday, you have Judas seeking out money uh, as money is one of the motives there for uh, betraying jesus but obviously not the the only thing yeah let's not forget also in holy week this is when the expensive nard jesus is anointed with this nard and he connects that with his burial and what does judas, judas say to him judas says we could get a lot of money for this nard we could get a lot of money for this oil anointment why don't we save it and give the money to the poor but his motive isn't money for the poor. It's because he's been pinching money. Siphoning from the collection plate. Yeah, he's been he's been pinching money. Yeah, you're right. And one of the things that's, that's quite interesting about that as well is that Jesus then says, you know, the poor you will have with you always and you can serve them whenever you like, but I will not be with you always. And this woman is doing a good thing to me. It's like she's anointing his body, preparing his body for what's going to come. Because, you know, we have this thing about oil strengthening the muscles and the bones of the athletes before they go into war, before they go into battle. And he's being anointed to prepare him for what's going to come, anointing him for the battle which he's going to wage with the against the principality and powers of the world of darkness and against Satan, but also preparing him then for not only his death, but his burial. And then when he when he rises to glory and one of the things that i find quite interesting with something that comes obviously slightly later in the garden of gethsemane is why he betrays him with a kiss why he betrays him with a kiss and does judas think that him betraying jesus is really an act of love 
that's a, an interesting question for me. Does he think he's doing something that is necessary? Does he think, look, you've told us to, you know, care for the poor and things. Look, I'm getting a day's wage for, for this money. You'll be fine. They'll find out you're innocent and they'll let, they'll let you go. And this is maybe why he commits despair. Who knows? But I find it really interesting. And this is why Jesus says, Judas, you betray the son of man with a kiss. I wonder whether Judas sees this as an act of love. And so he's trying to communicate to Jesus by the kiss that actually he's still trying to maybe say that he's on his side and Jesus is saying, you've betrayed me. But that comes a bit later. <laughs> but there's that betrayal that gives Wednesday its name in some circles as Spy mm. Wednesday. So he has betrayed Jesus. So then we enter into Holy Thursday. It's also known as Monday Thursday. And the reason why it has that name, Monday, is because it comes from the Latin. So on Monday Thursday, we have a number of things that happen. But one of the things that happens is that Jesus gives the commandment of love. And the Latin for commandment is mandatum, which is where we get the word Monday. So Monday Thursday. So commandment thursday what happens on thursday we have the preparation for the passover and then there's the assembling of the disciples with jesus for the passover feast and within that there are a number of things that happen so he washes the disciples feet and then he institutes the eucharist but also the the priesthood so who is going to carry on this memorial of the eucharist well the the priests those who are around the table with him and he gives this commandment of love which we said where the Thursday takes its name from. Yeah, I, I, it's absolutely fantastic. And also when Jesus at, at, at the meal then predicts Peter's denial. Jesus says, you know, I'm going to go. Peter says, where are you going? Can we, you know, can we come? And Jesus says, you know, you can't come now, but you can come later. And he says, but I'll die for you. Why can't I come now? Right. Very interesting response. But but I would die for you. Why can't I come now? This, again, ties into the fact that Jesus has been predicting his death and they know that it's imminent. They know that it's coming imminently. And Peter saying, I'll stay with you all the time and I'm going to, you know, I will I will I will die for you. And of course, we know that he doesn't, does he? He denies Jesus three times. He gets scared. He acts in fear. And Jesus says, but one day you will. Now, this connects to the end of the Gospel of John when Peter says, do you love me? And he says, Lord, you know I love you, but do you love me more than all these others do? But Lord, you know you know I love you, but do you love me? Lord, you know I love you. And um, at the end, he says, well, somebody else will stretch out your arms and tie a belt around your waist and lead you to a place where you'd rather not go, indicating the manner by which Peter is to die, connecting then this as a reversal of the denial that we'll that we'll see a little bit uh, a little bit later that happens on Friday in the courtyard. Now, just before this, it's quite interesting that it's only in the Gospel of John that we have Jesus washing the disciples' feet. We don't have that in Matthew, Mark, or Luke, but we shouldn't be discouraged by that. Just because it's in John's Gospel doesn't mean that it's incongruent with other things. So people, sometimes people might say, "Oh, look, you know, do this in memory of me" is not in the Gospel of John. And, you know, the, this means that the Lord's Supper isn't instituted in the Gospel of John. That's not true. That is not true. You have Jesus washing the disciples' feet in the Gospel of John. And then when Jesus is asked about betrayal, he says, you know, Lord, not I, not I. Who shall it be? You know, and he says, it's the one who shall dip his bread into my dish next. Right. So they are consuming the, the they are consuming the Passover meal. They are consuming the, the meal during this time. It's true to say that those words 
do this in memory of me and everything this and in and the institution of the of the new covenant this is this shall be my new covenant and everlasting covenant those things you do see in matthew mark and luke you find them in the letters of paul and it, it is still it's there in john in a way that's hinted at and we should remember that the gospel accounts very often between the earlier ones and the later ones the later ones very often will be very much be aware of the earlier ones use them to write their own gospel and then will provide a complementary account with additional information or things that they may have been party to themselves that haven't been included in other things to give you a more comprehensive and fuller account of the gospel. And one last point, which is quite interesting. After the meal, so Jesus predicts the denial, Judas leaves to go and tell the authorities where he's going to be, the temple guards, where he's going to be. And what do the disciples and Jesus do? They see Judas leave and then they leave singing a hymn. So Jesus here has predicted his death, predicted Peter's denial, said that he's going to be betrayed into the hands of men. He said, do this in memory of me and instituted the Eucharist and the priesthood. He's washed their feet. He said, you know, if you do not let me wash your feet, you can have no part in me. And then after all of these dramatic things have happened, things that might have struck the disciples as something is different about this night. Something is strange about this night. What's going on here? And then all of a sudden, they leave singing hymns to go out to the Garden of Gethsemane, a place where Jesus had been to pray many other times. I think that this meal, everything that's happening there, shows that Jesus is in control of what's happening. He's completely aware about what is happening. As he says that someone who dips the bread in this plate with me, someone who eats of the bread, the same bread with me, will betray me. So he identifies his betrayer, not just that Peter's going to deny him, but that someone's going to betray him and obviously be in Judas. And then he says to Judas just before he leaves, go and do what you need to do. So he is in control of these events. And just then to mention about the hymn, so you say that they sing the hymn and then they depart from the upper room. There's lots of scholarly work that's gone into this, but the, the most well-known person who has looked into this is Scott Hahn, a Catholic biblical scholar, in, in America and he says that what's happening here this meal that they're celebrating this feast they're celebrating is called the Seder meal and normally they would have four cups that they drink from and they sing before the fourth cup and he has a famous talk called the fourth cup which he comes up but they depart before drinking from the fourth cup and at that meal Jesus says that he will not drink of the fruit of the vine until he enters his kingdom and we see later in John's gospel when Jesus is on the cross it says that some wine is lifted up to Jesus and he drinks from it. And John is the only one who captures that event, probably because John is the one who's next to the cross, whereas the others have departed and fleed. But that's a very interesting point. Another interesting point that was pointed out to me by an archaeologist when I went to the Holy Land, uh, when I went to Israel, was where people would have been sitting. And we went to the site, or one of the traditional sites of the upper room, and he said, you know, how do you think the table would have been? And the table he described as a long table and people sat around three sides and on the third side, on the fourth side, nobody would be sat there because that's where people would come and bring dishes through and lay them on the table and things. And he says, where do you think Judas was sat? Where do you think Peter was sat and all the rest of it? Now, he describes that at this time, it would have been normal for Jesus to have sat at one head of the table and the person who is sort of his sort of right hand man would not have sat next to him, but actually on the other end of the table. So he says, Peter, he says, is not sat next to Jesus, but on the other end of, of the table, who he would have had next to him then 
we have Judas, the, the money man, and we know that he was sat close to Judas because Jesus passes the dish to him next. So he he's sat next to Jesus. And who would have been on his other side? But the disciple who rested on the breast of Jesus, as it says in the Gospel of John, who is then associated as the author of the Gospel. And that's how he knows these things have happened. He was there. He heard them. He saw them himself. Yeah, that's very interesting. Is it said that Judas is from the same area as Jesus? Or is he, you know, is he, is he the outsider? He's the outsider, yeah. So I think all of them are from the, the same area, the same place, with the exception of Judas. And this particular, this particular scholar was saying to me about how actually Judas came from the big city. Judas came from Jerusalem and the others didn't. And he says that that's a sort of telling thing. And it's sort of, you know, said that he's stealing money from the plate and things. And this is why he's so concerned with money and stuff. And it's associated again with the, the vices and corruptions of Jerusalem and the city. Yeah. Okay. So I just wanted to just go back to the point there. So when Jesus and the disciples have sung this hymn and then they depart from the upper room, but they haven't finished the meal. And I think that actually shows us a glimpse into why we as Catholics don't have a finish to Monday Thursday Mass. So we, with the Tridium, we have the three days, Thursday, Friday, and the Vigil on Saturday, and they count as one event. So you'll find that if you go to Mass on the Thursday, there's no finish, there's no final blessing. When you go on Good Friday, there's no formal beginning or end and there's no mass and there's no mass and then at the vigil there is no formal beginning so we have these three days celebrated as one and this is why because thursday the passover meal that they celebrate and good friday and then the resurrection are all to be taken as one event yeah, so jesus goes out into into the dark with his disciples they've sung this hymn they go out into the dark and then they're heading towards gethsemane but we're going to wrap up this particular episode there because lots of things happen on Good Friday and we are going to leave that for its own standalone episode which will be released on Friday. So we're going to leave you there in the dark with Jesus as he's, he's travelling out to Gethsemane. And yeah, as Dan says, join us again on Friday, on Good Friday, when we will be talking about what happens to Jesus in Gethsemane what happens to do with his arrest and his trial and the physical, visceral part. You will hear more about them on Friday. See you on Friday.